Behind the Bets with Doug Kazarian is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Vegas, baby, Vegas! At the end of the game, you count up your money. That's how you find out who's best. If all my bets were safe, there just wouldn't be any juice. Juice. The point spreads, the prop bets, the teasers, the parlays. From Vegas to you. This is Behind the Bets. Welcome in to another Behind the Bets podcast. And the NCAA tournament is here. We are fired up for our next guest. You've seen him and heard him basically everywhere on ESPN, including the tournament uh, challenge marathon. He is Dallin Cuff, one of our excellent college basketball analysts. You've seen him a lot on Daily Wager. Definitely comfortable with all the betting lines. Certainly knows his way around hoops, played at Columbia as well but super knowledgeable and super interesting i i uh, pick his brain a lot throughout the season so i thought he'd be a perfect guest for us this week to break down the tournament you guys can benefit and glean some wisdom so we're gonna coming up we're gonna have some of our favorite futures some of our favorite first round plays both sides and totals and also just take a look at some things how we're kind of seeing the bracket play out obviously gonzaga is the big storyline the nation's lone undefeated we have not seen an undefeated champ since 1976, Indiana, these other undefeated teams, whether it's Wichita State and Kentucky was actually the last one a few years ago. They were a huge favorite in that tournament. Plus 110, they lost the Final Four to Wisconsin. And Gonzaga is the shortest favorite since that undefeated Kentucky team. So just plus 200 here for the Zags, who really haven't been battle-tested all year. Yes, had some non-conference impressive wins. We'll see what happens as the Zags go throughout the tournament. Just Interesting because there's so much overlap with gambling and the bracket. Just want to remind people, you know, there's total game theory with this, right? Especially if your pool incentivizes upsets, right? Gives you more points or double points or whatever it may be for upsets. So keep that in mind. Maybe lean to the upset. There's also game theory component, picking a team that you don't think will be chosen by many others. So if you can get that, it's all about sort of the scoring system and where you can get your advantages. So just kind of think about that and have some fun with it. And also we're doing a challenge you got to sign up for a celebrity daily wager celebrity uh, group on the tournament challenge play for both ESPN.com men's and women's bracket. And basically if you finish in first in our group, you can give out a best bet uh, on the show. So a lot of fun, go challenge us, all of us on the show and uh, should be a lot of fun. This tournament that gets going on Friday. So an extra day to fill out your bracket. So Dallin's coming up momentarily. And I also want to let you know about the daily wager podcast. Basically every weekday around noon Eastern, we post, a brief pod, no more than 10 minutes, but closer to eight minutes. And we're basically touching on the top games of the day, quick picks, quick analysis. You're in, you're out. Kind of a preview of what's coming up at night on the Daily Wager TV show. Two of us will record it every day. It's a little bit of a rotation. Joe and I were on the first one. Then Joe Fortenbaugh and Tyler Fulgham were on the Tuesday edition. I'll be back on Wednesday and so forth. So again, every weekday in the morning, kind of get you set for the day. The major games, quick analysis. We even talked a little tourney, even though the games aren't those days but it's obviously the big storyline of the week. So definitely download, subscribe, rate and review all that one. It's the daily wager podcast behind the bets. We'll stay the same. We'll do one weekly or so and uh, sort of larger in-depth uh, breakdown. Pay that man his money. Time now to bring in a gentleman you have seen on all sorts of ESPN platforms. Also heard him on radio, but first timer here on the behind the bets podcast, college basketball analyst, Dallin Cuff. Dallin, welcome. I don't know what I did to deserve the invitation, Doug, but thank you, sir. I'm quite proud of my debut appearance here. How about shining everywhere? Is that is that a good enough reason? <laughs> I'll take that, my man. But all really all really matters here is shining with giving people some shekels, winning some cash here. So let's let's I'm I'm, I'm focused on that. 
when we talk to you. That's always a nice change of pace. It's a lot yeah. less about who wins. It's just who's getting paid. And I like exactly, that. exactly. And you know, if I, if I text you enough during the week, that's a good sign that I respect your opinion. So since <laughs> I do that, might as well try to glean your thoughts here for our loyal listeners. And then I won't have to blow up your phone as much. <laughs> uh, let's. So obviously, there's strong overlap between the bracket and and the betting board, and we're going to get into a lot of um, futures things like that. But there's also people listening who fill out a bracket. And I guess what was your kind of initial takeaway? when you assess the bracket Sunday night or even after having a couple of days to digest it all? Uh, really the first thing that I've I thought, and it's been said by many other people in my position as an analyst, is the Gonzaga's path is, is just, it's not easy, it's never easy, but it's just not that difficult. It could have been way harder, I think. And, and But they are being rewarded for being the number one overall seed. Um, their second round matchup against Oklahoma, Missouri, or Oklahoma, it's not an easy one at all, but it's the other high seeds in their region. They've beaten them all, which is just really abnormal when you think about a team that went out of their way to schedule really tough opponents non-conference to then kind of rehash and re-rack those same teams within this NCAA tournament. I'm talking about Iowa, Kansas, and UVA. And in none of those three games were the games particularly competitive. The Kansas game, they kind of jumped. That was the first game of the season. They came jumping out of the screen to us like, holy cow, this team is no joke when they went over 100 on KU. They dismantled Virginia. That game was never competitive, never competitive. And in Iowa, the game was always around 10 points, but it never they never felt threatened. It was um, – so to have those three be the teams, and then on top of that, UVA and KU are going through health issues with COVID. We don't know who's going to play, who's available. So, And if they're going to advance because of that. So all that considered, I think the Zags' path is great for them to at least get to the Final Four and obviously remain undefeated. Uh, that was the biggest thing that kind of kind of jumped out to me, that along with – you know, the ACC and Pac-12, both power conferences, but a lot of um, middling teams in terms of seeding, and justifiably so. I could think of maybe Oregon, probably the biggest gripe uh, in terms of seeding, in terms of where they're at, but there weren't many. The committee overall did a pretty good job. It's just how Gonzaga panned out. It was kind of surprising. Yeah, there's always going to be a few. Every person has a few gripes with, I don't know why Okie State's so low. I don't know why BYU yep. is so high, things like that. But whatever, at the end of the day, we have our bracket, something we could not say last year, so we were starving for this. I, yeah. I guess my... Uh, I don't want to say my takeaway from the bra the bracket specifically, but it's specific to this year with the pseudo bubbles in the couple arenas. It's just, what's it going to be like our underdogs? You know, a lot of times I like to take the dogs because you get these crowds that are there for a team. Their schools like plays later in the night. So they're rooting for the underdog early in the yep. game. And uh, you're just not going to have that. And I just wonder if the, the magnitude of the tournament, because there are media scrums all week, you're on the dais answering questions all throughout. You feel the stage, and they are kids. And that's why you see sort of atypical performances from some good teams, just lay an egg or whatever it may be, that dogs certainly bark historically in the tournament. I just wonder if that's still going to be the case when it's just going to feel like it may be an open scrimmage in a lot of ways. I think that's a really interesting point. I think you're right. Now, there's going to be 25% fans, but uh, mm -hmm. and, and in this year, which is re weird, because when we got down to the end of the year and just started to be more arenas opening up and you've seen the conference tournament, even 25% fans, less in those environments, but more in some school environments, you could actually feel the 20% people. You know, whenever Houston right. played games or, or Texas played games or Baylor played games, a lot of teams in the state of Texas, they had a decent amount of fans there, and you could feel the fans, and it just felt like, oh, there's some life in here. Granted, these arenas outside of Assembly Hall and Mackey are going to be more professional style and Hinkle with bigger facilities. Um, but I think they'll feel a little bit. I do remember a funny story. One of my great, like most enjoyable sports memories is going to see the 97 opening round in Pittsburgh with my dad. And uh, we go to the Pacific arena. 
that was the night Coppin State beat, uh, I think it was Iowa State. And, like, I don't know anything about Coppin State. But by the 15-minute mark, I'm going nuts as, like, mm-hmm. an 11-year-old or a 14-year-old for, for Coppin State. Like, I was just – and everybody did that. We know what that's like. But in that arena, it felt like a home game. So I think you're right. They're, we're going to miss some of that. You're going to miss some of the, the bright lights. And I think that may uh, have benefit the favorites um, that won't be maybe feeling the same level of pressure as they normally would. I think it's an astute observation. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And we saw chalk in this year of COVID ultimately in the championship, whether it be – um, the Dodgers, the Lakers, the, the lightning, um, chiefs last year, but that was pre COVID. So something to keep in mind, well, it's going to be fascinating. It's still going to be the big dance. So we're all going to enjoy ourselves. Any, uh, let's rip through some top, uh, in terms of futures, we'll do, uh, we'll do individual games like, um, round one, stuff like that, but any futures catch your eye. I have a few as well, but I want to pick your brain as well. I love two in the East, and it's primarily because I think Michigan without Isaiah Livers is, is not going to – and then their draw is tough. But Michigan without Isaiah Livers I don't think is the same team. Um, so I love two out of the East, Texas and, and Florida State at 850, uh, plus 850. I have both Florida State and Texas in my Elite Eight. Um, they'd have to beat Bama and Michigan respectively, but I like those matchups individually. And I'm not as off Florida State as some other folks are, uh, given their performance last time we saw them in the ACC tournament. I think their matchups are – play into the things they do well versus Georgia Tech plays against things they don't do well. Um, so I think there's tremendous value there. And particularly, obviously, like I said, Texas is the team I have in the final four. And not just because I'm winning the Big 12 tournament. It's the, the, the length, the versatility within their defense. Offensively, having a number of guards that are veteran guys and led by Matt Coleman, I think they, they will rise to the challenge. Uh, Kai Jones and Jericho Sims are, have developed their game. And Greg Brown as a freshman, kind of just future NBA player, is a uh, – bit of a wild card that can help them a lot of times and has improved throughout the year and his understanding of how to play the game. Um, so really like Texas and Florida state a plus eight fifty in that region. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think that sometimes we overreact a little too much to what we last saw. And we forget that in the conference tournament, these teams know each other in a, in a conventional season, they play each other two times. And then if you saw a matchup in the conference tournament, three times, the coaches are familiar with the other team's sets. So uh, you want a team that plays well, and, and you don't want a team that just like kind of lays an egg in the conference tournament. But like, like, for example, Oregon, the fact that they lost in the conference tournament, that doesn't bother me that much uh, because it is Dana Altman. He's proven over time that they can make a run in March uh, plus six. Uh, you know, he's a six seed. They won the Pac-12 tournament a year ago. And so at 25 to one, it's a brutal region on his yeah. side, bottom half of the bracket. But to your point, Gonzaga, I think they're capable. They have the interior scoring to go against Gonzaga's defense that I think they could make a run. I think the payout is just ridiculous. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, the, that, that bottom of that region is tough though, too, with the big guy go through Iowa, USC, I think is going to end up beating Kansas because I don't know what's Kansas steel going to be in there. If you have a rematch of USC and Oregon, I, that was the one team that just kind of overwhelmed Oregon in the last two months. Yeah. Um, so, so that I don't disagree with it because the value is great. And I mean, he's an outstanding coach and their versatility offensively is there. Um, I just think it's, it, it's a, it's a tough spot for any team to get out of that. That's a particularly interesting uh, section of the bracket. Yeah. So, so, but again, the 25 to one has me interested in, and, and, and another, any other futures catch your eye. I like yeah, the region I really, concept. I, I do like that going that route. Yeah. I think I, I look at looking at the Midwest uh, region, the bottom part of that one. I, I just don't really, I don't rate Houston. I think, I think, I think you're big on Houston though. Cause they were the, the, the some sharp money came in on that. I, I do. I think so of all okay. the two seeds, they have the lowest odds. So their odds came down. So there it's like almost like the fifth shortest at one book. So, uh, and it's more so like the variance. And I think from a game theory concept of picking your bracket, 
uh, that would be a play I'm really considering for at least one of my pools I'm in. But take me through Houston, please. I just, I, I, I mean, I like Kelvin Sampson. They're very good defensive. They're a good defensive team. They, they shoot it better from three they have in recent years. Um, but that American conference was really bad this year, man. And unfortunately I had to be in studio a lot of days, Thursdays, Wednesdays, watching them <laughs> plots, watching those games and be like, man, they, they're just not tested that well. And I just didn't think they were, um, they're capable of rising to the challenge against some of these teams that were more tested. And I do think they can go through periods where they can't score. Um, they can become really reliant on Quentin Grimes to make tough shots. Marcus Sasser's not been as good as he was early in the year. Dejan Giroux at times can become a bit erratic. They, they also rely on dominating the offensive glass. Well, they're just physically dominant in that league. But you take them out of that league, they're not physically dominant anymore, not at the same level, at least that league this year. So I don't love Houston's team. I do really like Rutgers still. I think Rutgers hmm. is capable of beating Clemson. And then with guys like Miles Johnson and, and the interior, Ron Harper Jr. has been was playing at all-American level if he can play even – close to that again that with almost Jacob Young and Geo Baker they've got a number of different guys on that team where you can't just say if you take x away we can win that's not that it really struggled they really struggled with that the concern with Rutgers is free throw shooting in, in tight games I mean they lost the game to Iowa where they dominated the whole game but they were I think they're 515 the free throw line lost by like two or three points um, and there's other examples of that where foul shots miss the key games is a problem so that is concerning in the tournament no doubt um, but I like them to be Clemson as a 10 seed over seven I like them to beat Houston. Uh, why that's relevant to the futures play of this out of the regions. I'm going regions way more than, than overall. I think mean, there's more value in the regions, and it's obviously less hard to do. Um, and San Diego State. I mean, San Diego State and WVU, both are 12 plus 1,200, both in that same section. I think SDSU and WVU, they'll play in the second round. Um, and then the winner of that, I like to come out of that, out of that bottom part of the bracket. And if that, then, it's a, then it's a matter of can you upset Illinois? Can you beat Illinois? Um, and, and that's where I think a plus two, that's why their numbers, their value, more, more value there at 12 to one. If you find a way to do that, I think, you know, WVU is probably better equipped to do that. Um, but I really love San Diego State's team. They are hard-nosed crew that really defends. They've got 3,000-point scores on their career. Uh, Matt Mitchell's an absolute stud. Shaq will get your buckets. They got an interior scoring and presence around the room with Nathan Men. So they've got everything I would want the team. Outside, they played the Mount West. I think the Mount West didn't get the respect that it deserves. I think that league is actually pretty good this year. Um, especially when they sit there, like I said, watch that many American games and you watch the Mountain West. I mean, it's like night and day um, and people kind of look at them maybe in the same vein, right, right below the power, uh, the big six conferences in basketball. But it's not that case this year. So um, I like SDSU or WVU just in terms of the value, if they can get that point, knock off Illinois, uh, the two other ones that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I can't fault you at all. This West Virginia team caught my eye a couple of months ago. Then they lost some close games, but you can't overreact to that. It's almost better when yep. they lose games. They're battle tested. And uh, I, I do like this West Virginia team because they have offense, which is something, you know, Huggy yeah. Bears teams have not had a lot of times in Morgantown. Oh, <laughs> and this is yeah, in a rock fight with them, dude. They, I mean, they know they can score the ball mm -hmm. uh, in multiple ways. They can really shoot it. They got four shooters around Jared Culver and Culver is an absolute beast in the interior. So um, that team has a lot. I do think that's why I think SDOSU actually matches up well with them defensively to kind of pull off the upsets there. So, I mean, that's, um, I, I hope that matchup happens because I think that's really an intriguing one. And then who goes wrong from there, I feel pretty good about. We're doing a segment today and I fought for those, you know, those like the, like whether it be John Oliver and some of these like goofy talk show, late night shows always have these mm -hmm. like categories where it's like 10 words hyphenated. It's like predictions we want to make, but we're too embarrassed to do it on national TV. You know, it's like, it's like this yep, segment. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I, I could see LSU going final four. And so but it's only 22 to one and they get Michigan in the second round. I mean, look, it's their mind. They came out, pick them in their opening round. Right. So yeah. just the fact that, you know, in that tough eight, nine game, but you mentioned the livers injury for Michigan. 
But this is a team, if they can play defense like they did in the SEC tournament yeah. with a effort, I mean, that's, that's really what it was, just effort. Uh, they're so explosive offensively, and I love Cam Thomas. I, I just think they have all the makings of kind of a team that could make a run, kind of like that South Carolina team did a few years ago. But that team was led more defensively, and this Way one more. would be offensively. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like opposites. Yeah. But it's a team that had it all and just finally put it together for a nice turning run. It, stop the concern there. Start to make that on national TV. Be out of the gate with this because I, I did. The, I mean, I kind of. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it jokingly. I had to do the same thing with our best bets column we write for the SEC tournament, and I think LSU was plus four fifty for that. Uh, as the three seed, but they'd been obliterated by Alabama multiple times and it had bad, bad losses to, to Georgia and other teams um, because they didn't guard. But I started my thing with, I can't believe I'm doing this. That was the yeah. first line. Cause I, I cause it, it's not just enamored with offense. It's dude. Multiple dudes can get you buckets. Cam Thomas is a walking bucket leading scorer in terms of freshman in the nation, over 23 points a game. I think 22 uh, Trenton Watford can go off as a big versatile a uh, guy that can score inside and out. Javante Smart is the other guy that takes big shots and crazy shots that go in. Uh, but it's not like the, it's crazy, like, you know, uh, for him. It's just in, in normal basketball. But he's been doing it for years uh, since his, this is his junior year. He takes and makes just big, tough shots, usually, you know, step back threes at most like dagger times. Uh, and if Darius Days is playing, it's really hard to beat that team. And when they their problem is transition defense. And, and they have to be able to get back and set their defense. Against Michigan, they probably won't be punished as much for that, and that that helps. As they move further in the tournament, it may be different if they played Florida State. Now, this is a Florida State team that doesn't run like Florida State teams and don't turn you over like Florida State teams in the past. They are, though, capable of getting that ball off the rim, and they are going to push. You've got to be able to have good transition defense. When when LSU does that and they set up, they're not that bad. I've done games with them where they were great, whether it was the Auburn game or when they played Arkansas one time, like they, they were really good at setting their defense or Georgia. They seemed disinterested and they got shellacked by a horrible Georgia team. So that's, that's why they're a pick them because you don't know what you're going to get night tonight on the defensive end. And you know, they can get your buckets, but sometimes buckets aren't enough. That's the concern. But um, I do think that team could be, could be a big problem. and could wreck a lot of brackets. So if you're going to be in on it, might as well be in on it. Yeah. Then, then again, they could also lose first round. So that's going to be hundred percent true. <laughs> I know the both uh, the both those teams really got a tough draw, so that's all I have in terms of futures. At least, um, I mean, look, there's always going to be those ones that catch your eye. Where we could see some double digit seeds make a deep, deep run, then you can sort of play out of that. But that's that's what's caught my eye. Any others before we uh, move on to the first round? Nope, those are the ones I like. Like I said, I like the regional plays. Uh, there wasn't a ton of value to me to win it all, and I do think I'm, I'm more heavy on some of those top teams that they're going to make it this year um, for a number of the reasons we kind of talked about. And because I do think some of the better teams have kind of separated themselves consistently being better that I don't uh, think they're not going to get to the final four, not going to win the championship game. So I've gone more the regional plays. Okay. Let's get to the um, first round games. And, and I just want to ask you about it because I don't know much about this first four game, but everyone I know is on app state. It's moved from pick to minus three. And it really, it comes from the conference strength in that Norfolk state. I mean, they emerged, but just not that strong of a, a schedule compared to what app state is. Are you backing that play or that line move? At least I understand the line move. Um, these are two teams that, that can, that can guard you. Um, Norfolk state, Norfolk state has, has not done it consistently. Um, but app states, that's kind of how they've, they've survived is, is defensively. Um, so I understand why it's moving. I also don't think that Here's the thing with these teams that aren't very good for lack of better than they got there and 
I'm not taking anything away from them. I mean, App State won four games in four days. I'm not taking anything away from them. But they're inconsistent for a reason. They were lower seeds in their conference tournament for a reason. I don't tend to bet these games because I literally don't think you know what's going to happen. And I don't think yeah. there's enough, I don't think there's enough of a, a grasp of the team. And when they play another team, that's actually of their ilk. I would prefer if they're going to be a 16, one and they get a line that I'm like, Oh, I think they can keep it. I feel better about like almost keeping it under an opponent where, you know, one party would be consistent and know what they do consistently. Well, than have two parties that are, eh, they've been this way all year. They've been up, they've been down. They've been more sort of offensive. They can struggle to score in the half court. And then you're trying to, you're just, you're kind of grasping at straws. So, I, would, I wouldn't mess with the game. I understand why the line is moving. I'm not touching this game. Well said. Well said. Uh, the other first four game I'm on, and I like Sparty a lot. The line's up to two here. It comes down to Izzo, but also the ceiling of this Sparty team. When they factor in the power ratings, obviously there's some sort of weight to recency, but I'm just kind of throwing out what Sparty was for the first couple months of the year. I just think what Izzo's done with this group, and, and that speaks to some other teams too that have improved drastically, like Kansas, for example. I just think the fact that you're able to beat Michigan and Illinois – and I just trust them more going to battle against this UCLA team that has just been all over the place. You just use the key word. It's not to me. It's not Izzo as good as he is. This UCLA team doesn't want to battle. They don't want to fight. Like they, they are a very soft group that is good offensively. They don't have any real one dynamic player, which is problematic too. And sometimes in tournament settings um, where they really are, you know, offensively, they have to rely on each other. They have a high assist rate. They share the ball well. They have guys that can get buckets. And Tiger Campbell can start things off. And Jules Bernard can knock down shots. And Johnny Duzan can do his thing. But they got guys that can make plays. But nobody really scares you. And on the other side, nobody, nobody, they don't want the fight defensively. They are a bad defensive team. There's no way to like sugarcoat that. They've been slightly better in a Big 12 and a Pac 12 that's been weak, especially in the back end of the Pac 12 that doesn't really guard anybody or it doesn't tend to have that many great players on the offensive side to make it that tough for you. Um, and they play a slow tempo, and they're going to play a slow tempo with a team that doesn't guard well, doesn't bode well for me. I, I feel like they've, they've laid a bunch of eggs. They've lost four straight coming into this thing. Granted, and those were all against the best teams within the conference with the exception of Oregon State. So when they play good competition in the Pac-12, they didn't have a lot of it. They weren't consistently good against good competition. And I, I do think that uh, I'm taking Michigan State happily. I'm still surprised the line is minus two. I really don't understand that. I think Michigan State has played better teams. They have better players. Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry can be a problem. Aaron Henry is a problem. Yeah. Rocket Watts has started to have the ball in his hands more and be the guy that we thought he needed to be early on. They also have other guys have emerged within that team and they do want to fight. They're going to scrap. They're going to claw. They're going to rebound. I can't say that same, same confidence about UCLA at all. So I'm, I'm, I'm all over Sparty minus two. Good. All right. So great minds think alike. Let's go to the first round game, which this year, of course, everyone knows this who's listening is on Friday. It's the early game, 7-10 game, and you uh, you have opinion here on Virginia Tech and Florida, which right now at uh, Caesars William Hill is the Gators minus one. Yeah, the unders moved down a little bit. I liked it more. I think it was 137 or 137 and a half when I yep. saw it yesterday. Right. It's 135 it's now. The, exactly. I think that I, I loved it at 137. I still like it at 135, but you're getting into a, a little bit more of a dicey territory. Uh, both these teams, Virginia Tech has not played much recently, yes, they had a COVID pause at the end of the year. I think February 27th was their last regular season game. They were off for nearly two weeks and played UNC in the uh, semifinals of the, uh, of the or quarterfinals, excuse me, of the ACC tournament. But they did not have COVID within their team. They were on a contact tracing pause, which is distinctly different. Everybody worked out. Everybody was able to stay and keep their conditioning. Granted, you're, in, you're doing a lot more individual stuff, but it's way different than teams like Baylor where it ran through the team and you can't play and guys are at literally sick. And that's happened to a lot of teams. 
versus just a contact tracing issue. So when they came back and played against UNC, I thought they played they played well. And UNC just kind of outbattled them and wore them down in the paint and got some of the rebounds they liked to get. And they made a couple more plays. And sometimes that just happens. Um, so I'm not worried about their form. I am concerned about Florida's form. They go through periods where they can struggle to score. Um, I like Colin Castleton, but I, I like Trey Mann, but sometimes they can be overly reliant on them. They do defend. They will try to speed you up. I do think but Coach Young and, and Virginia Tech want to run a slower play, pace. I think both these teams can struggle to score at times. I think it'll be one of those typical kind of tournament, you know, feel you out early in the game, kind of grind it down situations. So I still like the under at 135. If it goes any lower than that, I probably won't play. Uh, if it goes to 134, I may not play it, but I did love it at 137 and change. The under I like is Utah State and Texas Tech. You mentioned the Mountain West yep. Yep. Uh, getting a little respect. And I actually was kind of pleased to see this because I think Tech advances and covers, but the line's only four and a half versus five now. So you, it just shows you that a team like Utah State, and look, I like Tech. I like Chris Beard. I was back at him the year they went to the final, and, and actually in the last time we saw a championship game. But I just feel like this team doesn't have the same offense and capabilities, mm-hmm. right? Like they've, they're going to be kind of a rock fight in, by nature, but I just – they got limitations, and I think that could really, uh, they could really, you know, with Utah State's size, and I think the uh, Aggies are going to have trouble, obviously, against Chris Beard defense. So I think this one at one thirty-two now is still. Uh, I'm going to still. That's the only under I'm playing in the first round. Why did you say that? Because um, there are certain games. As soon as you see the matchup, I'll say like take the under or take the over without even knowing the number. That was sure. one. I said just take the under. Like I don't even know what it is, but this these two teams and they can both really guard. And you mentioned uh, Namias Keita for Utah State. is yeah. a big, big physical guy in the interior. He's got a rim protector. They can battle with you. And the difference with this Texas, Texas Tech team from the last one that went to the final, you kind of mentioned it. They lack an offensive punch. But the big piece is they lack a pro in Jared Culver. Yeah. Like, they had a pro. They had a dude that could, could get you a bucket when you needed one. Mac McClung, it, at times, he can be dynamic. But that, that is not the same. A really good college player, that ain't an NBA player. And with NBA length and shot making, it's very different animal. Um, and I think, you know, Terrence Shannon and, and Marco Santos Silva, guys have played better, but offensively they can really struggle. I definitely like the under. I'm, st- I'm contemplating the four and a half. I do think they can win this game by five or six, but in a low possession, low scoring game, that's, you know, you know 10 or 11 points in other games. So um, I, I do, th- I'd love the under questioning about the four and a half, but I do think it's, I'll probably end up playing that. Um, but the under is the preferable play there. It's an astute observation. Just kind of elaborate on it for some of our more novice listeners. Obviously, if it's a high-scoring game, laying five points is not as much of a concern because there's more variance in the scoring. But when it's a low-scoring game expected, every point is kind of like a bigger slice of the pie, if you will, right? Like one, one thirty-second instead of one, one fifty-fifth or something like that. Exactly. Uh, And both these teams, the pace, they they want to play at a play at a slow pace. So nobody's really going to try to push them into a different direction. So you kind of can know that it will be a low possession game, which yields a low scoring game. Let's skip down to a game that is really intriguing. You have the ACC tournament champion in Georgia Tech, a three-point dog to Loyola of Chicago. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mention Sister Jean, Dallin. Oh, that, well, you I'm, just did, though, I'm not gonna, by oh, default. Darn it. Yeah, I, I did it. I did it again. Now, it's a running joke on Daily Wager. I say Sister Jean every time the Ramblers get mentioned. But mm-hmm. these are two teams that people were kind of questioning where they were seated. Both, you know, some felt both should have been higher. Uh, you like the dog here. Well, I did until the positive testing note announcement came down. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday, so just a couple hours ago. Oh, I missed this. Um, so, they, yeah, they have um, one. It didn't say it within the traveling party. They wouldn't confirm if it's a player or not. Gotcha. Why this is relevant is Georgia, Georgia Tech, the way they play defense and the way they turn teams over is really problematic. And Loyola Chicago is a really good defensive team, too. But I do think 
in the Valley. They're less tested, and it's more of a traditional man-to-man defense. You don't see what Tech does a lot. They're top 10 in the nation in turnover rate. They may play this 1-3-1, kind of goes back to 2-3. Sometimes they match up out of it. You don't know what you're in, what you're playing against. A lot of times that puts teams on their heels. But within the ACC, you see it more. You're, you're, you know what you're looking at. When you don't see it, it's very different. Um, and they score 18 points a game off turnovers, fourth in the nation. I th- in Loyola, Chicago, one of their weaknesses is they're loose with the ball. All that said, if this one positive happens to be Jose Alvarado mm. or happens to be Moses Wright, that's a different team particularly Alvarado. He is just a pest within that defense, and he's all over the place, plays with great energy, takes and makes big shots for them, has the ball in his hands when they need to make plays. If it happens to be him, it's that's why I don't think I can play this game unless somebody comes out and says it's not a player. So until I know that, I'm not playing. As soon as I know that it's not a player or it's not one of those two guys, then I couldn't play it fast enough. I love them winning this game, and if you're going to give me three points, I take, I'm even happier about that. But I, they, they need they need those. They need they're top five guys, and two of those guys are literally indispensable. You know, I always go back and forth over the years when a team gets hot and wins their conference tournament, like we just saw with Georgetown and obviously Oregon State. Question is, is this just like they got hot lightning in a bottle for a weekend, or is this something where they've kind of, there's a reason they're playing better, and can they continue this momentum into the tournament? So we have Oregon State, this line down now to seven and a half against Tennessee. We also have Georgetown against Colorado do you like either of those you know just plus the points or even outright I, I totally am on board with the same thing you just said and why Georgia Tech is different Georgia Tech won eight straight games and they've played well, yeah, better of down the stretch so, so Tech that, is that, different that, it was like, like more Georgetown and Georgetown and Oregon State are two teams that have been bad all year and then got hot at the right time and Oregon right. State's part of them getting hot is making a lot of shots uh part of Georgetown getting hot was not turning the ball over and making shots um, I, I actually don't like either one of these games. I think, I think they've become uh, very, I, don't, I shouldn't say dislike. Georgetown's the more likely one, and I would contemplate, um, contemplate a play with them. I do not like Oregon State, and I, Tennessee, I think it will, they do. They will physically punch you in the mouth. They will grind you down defensively. Nothing is easy when you play against them. Um, and I'm not sure Oregon State's ready to, to, ready or willing for that type of fight. That's not, that's not a lot of stuff you see in the Pac-12. Um, so I really don't like that play at all, even if they're getting seven and a half. Uh, and with Georgetown, too, like, for me, it's hard to ignore how, not just they lost games, how bad they were at times. Like, just oh, flat out bad. So I, I really can't ignore that either. And I do think if they weren't playing Colorado, if they were playing another five seed, they were playing Creighton. If they were playing, if they were playing Villanova, uh, which I know it's in the conference, so it can't happen. But just teams that people are more aware of, I don't think this would be as trendy a pick. The difference is with Colorado, a lot of people don't watch and be able to see Pac-12 basketball east of the Mississippi. They don't pay a ton of attention. So they don't, may not know McKinley Wright. They may not know this is a veteran team, how tough Batty can be. Uh, then about Jariah Horn. They don't know who these guys are, what this team's capable of. Now, they've been inconsistent. They've lost some games they should have won, especially on the road, you know, losing to Cal, losing to Washington are horrific losses. But by and large, they've been a really good team all year. So I'm going with consistency. I'm going with the veterans. I'm going with the point guard that's one of the best in the business over a team that I think is a little bit of a fat um, that, that, that because of their brand and because of their coach being who he is, has gotten a lot of attention and people just are picking this game left and right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's Ivan Mazel would always say it. It's not West coast bias. It's West coast bedtime. And, and it was really just people, people went <laughs> to bed true. and missed some of it over the years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> jumping down. So look, we talk about trendy underdogs. Winthrop is one, especially Villanova, just not the same team without Gillespie, but they still have Jay Wright. And they still have other players. Is Winthrop too trendy? 
the Arsenal too. I mean, you have to pick a 12-5 or two, so I'm aware of that. Just by the numbers, it's going to happen. Um, I, I would not pick this one. I would probably pick Georgetown and UCSB. This one, what concerns me, Chandler Vaudrin's great. We love his triple doubles. And I'm not knocking this. I'm speaking this as a mid-major player, okay? When you play a high-major team, the guy across from you is usually two or three inches taller, runs faster, jumps higher, and maybe weighs 20 pounds more. Physically gifted more than you. Chandler Rogers is different. He's 6'7". But the rest of his teammates outside of DJ Burns are not. So I, I don't like, like, uh, they didn't play many high-major opponents. I don't think they played one. When you don't test yourself with the opportunity to see, okay, this game's a little different. What can we cannot do? Uh, how, how does our offense look against guys that can literally just guard their yard and keep guys in front of them? What's different? When you don't have that, I think that, that, that hurts you a little bit. I like, like, UCSB played multiple high-major teams. Liberty played five high-major teams, beat a couple of them, uh, and they're at a 13 seed. So I look at that stuff, and I think that's important to, to know if you're able to pull this off. Lastly, with Winthrop, they love to play at pace, and it's easy to boss the game when you're the more talented team in your league. But when you're playing Nova, who plays a, one of the slowest paces in the country and almost always gets their pace and has the more talented players top to bottom, even without Gillespie, I, I find it hard to believe they're going to beat him outright. I really just I don't I don't think this matchup bodes well when they have to play and they're going to have to play when they're a half court game. So I'm taking I think Nova to win. Now if you give me six and a half points, not that I don't think Winthrop can't keep it close because again we just talked about possession, pace. That's the pace plays into this. I'm not going to play it, but I would understand taking the Eagles in their six and a half points. I don't like them outright to win though. Fair enough. We're uh, winding down the list and also up against the clock a little bit. A team that. I really like, uh, and I just think it's too many points for such a bad defense in Iowa, but we did talk about higher total games, and I'm going to take the 14 and a half with Grand Canyon. I, I, I like the Hawkeyes. I just think they're so limited defensively. Um, they're probably going to make a nice, decent run in this tournament just because they have Garza and they have the shooting, and the Big Ten was so battle-tested, and I talked about familiarity with kind of the opponents and, and guarding guys like Bohannon and all the other shooters. They, they, it's, it's kind of we see in the NBA playoffs when you go later in the series, the defenders are almost anticipating all the, all the moves on the, on the half-court sets. They're going to be wide open in some sets. But I also think Grand Canyon is going to get their opportunities, and I think they're going to keep this within 14 and a half. I don't dislike this. I, I think Grand Canyon, one thing they do have is they have legit size. They got two all-league players, one seven-foot tall, one six-ten. Uh, they're a veteran group, and they're well-coached. I think Bryce Drew's a great coach. Uh, goes there in his first year and gets them to the tournament. Yeah. Um, so I think that's possible. I, I, the thing I will say, the narrative is different with Iowa to me. I think the narrative, you mentioned it, is still their bad defense. But when you've looked at the last three or four weeks, they defended well. They've held teams in the 60s, especially in the end of the regular season. Their defensive efficiency was way better. They were switching defenses in a more efficient manner. They were mixing in a press from time to time. I think Fran McCaffrey, honestly, has coached a better game, and his players have executed better on the defensive end. That's helped them uh, slow some teams down. And I do think they play better down the stretch. Uh, in this game, I do think the size of those bigs will help them at least battle Garza. When you don't have to double off, when you, when you can go Garza one-on-one -on -one, or try to at least, you have a better shot. The question is, can these guys succeed in that? That I don't know. But we have seen teams that have succeeded, and it's been quite beneficial. So I think overall, I, I don't think that's a bad. I'm not going to play that play, but I think that that's a pretty good one. Between a 215 matchup, I kind of like that in terms of what Grand Canyon has and what they're capable of doing versus their opponent. I believe the number is 35 of the last 37 tournaments. We've had a double-digit seed in the Sweet 16. Uh, for me, the first one that popped out to me was the Gauchos. Uh, First-round matchup with Creighton getting points there. Trendy play, but I think it's legit. I love it. I love it. That's good. why that's my favorite one. Really? Okay, uh, good. 12-5. I, I, my problem is I actually really do like Creighton. 
but I like what UCSB does against what Creighton does. Primarily, they're a veteran team. So Corey McLaughlin is a great guard, and you always want guys, you, you want to find teams that have high major players that have transferred down a little bit uh, into the Big West in this case. So McLaughlin came from Oregon State. Uh, the guy Mills, who's 6'10 and long, when you see him on the court, I mean, he just, he has like, NBA, he just NBA body, just takes up a ton of space, but he's a, he's a 6'10 wing. I mean, he's out there moving around. I mean, he's, he, he's physically imposing. Uh, he transferred from Oregon. Uh, and I think those, their team with their experience, the way they play, they score a lot within the paint, uh, whether it's off a of post up or post up or just good offense guys getting downhill, finishing lane, finishing in different manners around the rim. Um, they don't typically rely, rely on threes is important, but they are efficient offensively. Defensively, they get out, they guard you, they make it tough. And the biggest thing they do is they take you out of your three point attempts, which with Creighton is yeah. really critical. They score 45% of their, their points from the three point line. That's top 30 in the nation. Well, the Gauchos, are 15th in the nation in terms of limiting threes. They only allow their opponent to shoot 30% of their shots from behind the arc. So if they're able to make a lot of those threes contested threes, and they can keep Zagorowski in front of them so he can't operate as easily, I think they're in a pretty good spot. So I, I, I really like them with the points. I'm probably going to pick them outright. And then because of the Ohio situation with UVA, and UVA, I don't know who's going to be healthy. And even if they're healthy, you show up on a Friday and you haven't touched the ball and you're going to play on a Saturday in a tournament situation. And the, when you play, again, the pace they play, the way they play, they have not been that finished offensively, like Ohio in that spot with the number as well. And now you have a 12-13 matchup to go to the Sweet 16. And in that case, I give the edge to UCSB. So that's how you end up having the Gauchos into that, into that, second, into that second weekend. That's exactly what I have, 12-13 right there in that next round. I just don't think Virginia is very loaded. I think they're limited offensively, and the defense isn't quite the same. I feel like I've asked you about Virginia games all throughout the season. Every time they play, we have you on the show. Well, I, I did have more respect for their offense because uh, partially because some of the ACC teams haven't guarded that well, but they have more guys that can score than they have in years past, and they have those bigs that can make shots. But Problem do they? Is, I mean, do they? But, not to interrupt, but like they—they they ultimately have had a lot of NBA guys on those teams that supposedly didn't have offense. I don't think they have much NBA talent right now. No, but bear in mind the team here they won. I mean, they, those they did have multiple NBA guys: Hunter, Guy, uh, Chai Jerome, even and Jerome, yeah. They didn't just rely on shooting threes, though, too. They, they could score in the interior. They could get guys going downhill. They played. They were top five in offensive and defensive efficiency that year. So it was no surprise. They won. And they, they, could, take, they could score from all over the floor. This year's team is they have guys that can shoot it, but they're really reliant on that. And the guys that can shoot it are their bigs, too. It needs yeah. to be Hauser. It needs to be Huff. It needs to be Trey Murphy, which is kind of your three, four, five. And they invert their offense a lot. Uh, and they play through those guys, but at times they've done a good job. Tony Bennett has attacked matchups. If you go with somebody small, he'll put Hauser in the elbow or the block area and let him work. He's got a great fadeaway. They've been creative in using those guys, but their guards really can't score around the rim. And their guards, Kia's got to make shots. Kia Clark, if he doesn't make shots, it's a problem. Reese Beekman can't really shoot. Casey Morsell can't really shoot. So they're heavily reliant on those guys to not just score the bigs, but to make threes. They can do it. They're a good, they're a good offensive team, and they've shown that all year. They're top 15 in offensive efficiency. But when you don't touch a ball, Doug, for seven days yeah, because they can't leave their room right now. They're quarantined in Charlottesville and you're going to walk into Indy in a place you've never played before. And you got to make a bunch of threes and you're playing against Jason Preston. Who's a pro on the other side. They're going to run a million ball screens. Your ball screen defense has been one of your weaknesses all year. I mean, it just seems like it adds up that UVA is not going to win this game. I say all this and watch them go out and beat them by 20, but <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems like all the pieces are in place for a, a, a really difficult game for them. And that's why I like Ohio. If they were fully healthy, I would still take UVA. But they're not, and they're not able to play and practice, and they haven't been. They're not. They're definitely not going to be in rhythm. That's a problem. It'd be funny if they bookend a national championship with losses to a 13 seed and a 16 seed in the first round. That would be 
that would be March Madness in a nutshell. That would be the big Absolutely. dance. But they uh, all be able to, But Tony can always point to his national championship. Be like, you guys can go pound salt because I got. Yeah, we here. Do have my ring. <laughs> exactly. Dallin, awesome stuff as always. I knew uh, that was going to be great content. I'm, I hope our listeners are. Um, took lots of notes because there's a lot of good stuff that we just covered and really appreciate the time. I know you're slammed all week, but uh, it was really fun to do that. Anytime, man. Enjoyed it. <laughs> That's some sweet action. <laughs> I don't want any sweet action. <laughs> well, I, I got a gambling problem. This has been the Behind the Bets podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Download the DraftKings app today and use code Doug, D-O-U-G, to get in on all the action. So a lot of fun with Dallin Cuff. Special thanks to him. He's been so busy this week and really generous with his time and hope everyone appreciated it as we uh, have some firing on some plays already in the play-in game and then also the first round throughout and then uh, some futures plays. So hopefully some of these cash will have uh, much more analysis in the coming weeks as the tournament goes on. So thanks to everyone for downloading, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. And also a reminder of the Daily Wager podcast every weekday morning, at least morning for the West Coast, noon Eastern, in that range uh, on the East Coast. So thanks again. Good luck to everyone with their brackets. It is a glorious time of year. Enjoy it. Have some fun, and we'll see you back here next week.